Have you ever uh, used the phrase, I told you so, or something like that? Like, I don't know. You. I want to use the phrase, <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> I've learned how to be humble and how to, uh, like, how to shut up, basically. So basically, I've learned that even though I'm right, I'm never going to say it. And I'll, it always has to be their ideas at the end. So you're just happy if the end result works and mm -hmm. you're part of the successful team. But ego doesn't pay. This is Made at McGill, an origin story podcast about McGill University's makers, aka entrepreneurs and innovators. How did these students, researchers, and alumni figure out how to make the world a better place? Well, it's complicated, but keep listening. It's a good story. This show is brought to you by the Miguel Dobson Center for Entrepreneurship. Our mission is to inspire, teach, and develop world-class entrepreneurs. You can learn more at miguel.ca slash Dobson. This episode is brought to you by Interac. Canada's leading payment brand. Interac is chosen an average of 16 million times daily to pay and exchange money. To learn more, visit interac.ca. I'm your host, Mo O'Keefe, and on today's show, our guest is Emily Boutros, who's currently a general partner and CFO at Tandem Launch, which is a startup foundry and seed fund based in Montreal. They work with driven entrepreneurs to turn research from the world's best universities into exceptional technology companies. Earlier in November, they raised another $30 million to support the creation of 20 new Canadian technology startups. Emily is also a board member of several AI-based companies, including Contextful, SportLogic, Fluent AI, and DeepLight. She graduated from McGill's math program in 1999 before going on to complete the chartered accounting program at HEC and performing in several accounting slash finance roles. And then she became employee number four at Tandem Launch. Our conversation spans across management lessons she's learned over the course of her career, how to work with a remote team, what the day-to-day -day of a board member is like, and how entrepreneurs can better deal with their board. We also talk about the secret sauce of Tandem Launch and their approach when building technology startups. If you're interested in building a company with them, you can go to tandemlaunch.com. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily. Tell us about your the work that you did at KPMG uh, when you were a senior accountant there, and then when you shifted to becoming a an account policies manager, you know, what was that transition like? What was it go, like going from a specialist to a manager? Yeah, so I started my career as a, a specialist and when you call um, an individual contributor. Um, I, I think that I'm still an individual contributor today in the sense that I'm somebody that whether I have 50 people reporting to me or nobody reporting to me, I believe I can still bring value to a company at a strategic and at a tactical level. That being said, at the beginning of my career, my role was much more as a specialist. And then very early on, I had to learn how to manage people and grow a team. Um, I really enjoy managing people and I've been doing it since like uh, forever. I see my employees as partners and that was basically the difference between my role at CGI versus my role at KPMG is that I had employees that I had to work with. 
and um, they learn a lot from me. I learned from them. And as I said, I have a very entrepreneurial way of managing my employees in the sense that um, I give them a lot of freedom and manage them through objectives. And um, I'm not very good at the weekly meetings and the continuous <laughs> reporting, but they know that they can email me at any time during the day or at night, and I'm always going to be available to answer their questions. And that's really something that I learned when I was at CGI, was that I was starting to manage small teams, and their success was connected to my success. Another skill set that I think is very important in a career that you have to learn when you go from a specialist to a manager is the ability to communicate differently depending at what level of the organization you speak to. So if you talk to an analyst or if you talk to a CEO or to a board member or to a VP, if you talk to a marketing manager or if you talk to a financial uh, uh, analyst, you're going to use different words. You're going to uh, change the level of detail uh, when you're going to explain uh, what, what, what you're trying to uh, accomplish. And that capacity to adapt uh, the communication uh, to adapt it based on, on who you talk to, I believe will be uh, key to uh, your ability to grow in an organization. And how do you think you made people, like you mentioned that your employees felt like they could always ask you any questions. How did you create that, that sense that they could do that? So I'm fully transparent myself. So they feel that they can also uh, connect with me. They can ask me a, a lot of questions. I'm also somebody who values entrepreneurial initiatives. So I give them ownership. They can start their own projects. And I understand that there are going to be mistakes and nobody gets fired because they make any mistakes. Or we learn together. So we sit down, we review what went well, what didn't go well. And at the end of the day, I tell them, okay, well, next time, this is what you're going to do. I'm not going to uh, tell them, okay, well, I mean, you're not going to have that responsibility anymore. Or I'm going to put you in a different like uh, corner. I will also tell them. Uh, in that perspective of uh, having a very transparent and open culture with them, that when they work with me, there's no job description. So basically, I mean, um, we're going to grow the position around their skill set and their strengths. So however they want to build the position, I'm going to back them up. And the more they can grow, the more senior the position will be. And that's how we'll build a stronger uh, organization. Okay. And... Do you remember any lessons that you kind of had to learn the hard way? Any stories where, you, I don't know, maybe you messed something up and then you had to fix it? Or you, you learned a management lesson the hard way? Yeah. So basically with my employees in general, like as I said, I've managed many employees since the beginning of my career. Knock on wood, I've never had like horror stories. I've had people telling me... Uh, through the ups and downs of, of life, like uh, they've had some problems and I had to listen to them, but I really enjoy psychology actually. So I was very happy to help them and to make a difference in the struggles or, or the challenges that they would face in their personal or their professional life. My lessons were more um, above my head. So when I worked for big organizations like CGI, there's a lot of politics and I've lived it the hard way. So I was very naive. Uh, both of my parents, my dad is an architect, my mom worked for, in a museum. I was not aware of that culture that can happen in big companies and, and, and I lived it like uh, big times. There's a lot of uh, 
talking behind each other's back and there's a lot of uh, if you make they're twisting every word that I say and switching it against me and it was very hurtful to tell the truth and at the time I was very lucky at CGI I I started as a as a specialist and then um, the the person that was the manager quit so they gave me the position the managing position and then the VP was um Uh, a sick leave had a sick leave okay. so they didn't replace him so basically I was reporting to the SVP corporate controller and that man is today the CFO of CGI so I was really uh, had a lot of exposure and I learned a lot from him and when I quit because I was completely disillusioned by uh, the uh, the environment he told me Emily you don't understand the game and I remember that my reaction was a little bit emotional and a little bit dramatic, a little bit dramatic sometimes. And I told him, but what game are you talking about? I didn't even understand that there was a game. <laughs> so at that point, that's when I tell you that I learned it the hard way. And when I got older, I became much more uh, aware of uh, everything else that can happen besides execution, strategy, and, and decisions making in an organization. Okay. And shifting gears a little bit, then you went on at some point to become CFO at Averna Technologies. Yeah. And my question is, how did you come across this opportunity? And what was it like to work for a smaller company after working for what was, you know, fairly large corporations? Yeah. So it's, it's a good story because when I worked at CGI, I was actually leading the audit of the company and I was working with a partner called Robert Nardi from Deloitte. He was uh, the partner in charge of the technology department and he was also the auditor of Averna. And when he saw my work at CGI, he told me that, listen, I'll introduce you to Pascal Pinot, who was the CEO of Averna at the time because he's looking for somebody to uh, manage the finance department. And when I met Pascal, Pascal was an entrepreneur. He had founded the company. He was the CEO of the business. And I always say, listen, I love entrepreneurs because they hire me, like they take risks. <laughs> I was 30 years old at the time. And we really connected at a professional and on a personal basis too. He's still my friend today. And um, he took a big risk by hiring me. But um, he did it and he put the whole finance team uh, around me. So there were 30 people at the time. It was a great experience for me. And that's when I realized that I really love building businesses and working with entrepreneurs. That's at that time. The difference between um, a large organization and a smaller company is um, you have much more impact as a, 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 a an executive in a smaller company than I could have in a big company. And that level of impact really motivated me. And the, the level of ownership that I could get also was uh, very uh, attractive. Well, I mean, it, it made me perform uh, way better than, than I could have been in a big organization. And that's when I, I realized I really love startups. And at Averna, I think some of your, your teammates were in, you know, parts of other parts of the world, like the U.S., Mexico, and Europe. Yeah. And to that end, I wanted to ask you, what have you learned about managing a remote team? Yeah. So I have a lot of good stories about managing those teams too, because we started those businesses from scratch. So we were actually looking for an office, negotiating a lease, hiring people remote. So I think it's easier today to manage uh, teams that are remote than it used to. Uh, there are a lot of uh, chat box and, and Skype. Uh, the key is communication. So we would have weekly meetings with the teams and I would go over there in person twice per year. I would say that was like uh, the, the, how often I would visit those teams. Um, we also had the experience at Averna of what we would decentralize and what we would centralize. And that was one of my key learnings is 
where do I put the cash? How do I run payroll? Like, uh, how do you manage the inventory? Do you do you give it to the person on site or do you do it at uh, in Montreal? And those learnings were key in order to grow the business and replicate the business model in different countries. Um, after that, you went on to your current job, which is general partner and CFO at Tandem Launch. Can you explain what Tandem Launch does and who it's for? Yeah. So um, Tandem Launch is a startup foundry. So what we do is return research from the world's best universities into technology companies. We're in contact with more than 600 universities around the world. They submit their projects. And when we turn around, we discuss the investment opportunities with our business partners. So the big companies of the technology industry, such as Sony, Samsung, Toshiba, BMW, Intel, GM, they influence our investment decision. When we find a technology that is promising, we assemble a team around it, a technology lead and a business lead. And I always joke and say that Tenem Launch is like a Tinder for co-founders. So basically, people that have a desire to build a business with other co-founders, it's very important that they understand that it's a team effort, they can come to Tenem Launch and meet somebody with a different background, find an outstanding technology, and spend with us between 12 and 18 months. And um, during that time, we're going to be very involved at Tandem Launch core team. We're 20 people that are part of the core team. And we're going to meet them on a regular basis to help them start their businesses. So we're going to help them recruit one or two other engineers, uh, get a little bit of traction, develop a demo. So we're very involved operationally during that first uh, period. And at the end of the program, they're going to have to recruit a CEO, so a serial entrepreneur. That person will invest in the business, will become a co-founder, and will lead the next round of financing. When the CEO is on board, the company will raise an external round of financing, and we have uh, several uh, VCs and angels and strategic investors that have been part of that graduation round, what we say. At that time, I'm going to incorporate the company, transfer the employees, transfer the IP, and we just built a new business in Montreal or in Canada or in the States, <laughs> a new technology company, and Tenem Launches has a seat on the board. And we've been doing this multiple times, more than 25 times, actually, uh, that exercise, um, uh, through, and we're financed through a fund. So we can invest up to $3 million in mm -hmm. each of the business uh, that we built, uh, especially with a new fund that, I, uh, that we uh, closed, uh, actually, we announced it this morning, which is uh, $30 million. But the first fund of Tandem Launch was uh, in 2013. It was $8 million. And uh, we had a second one, a successor fund in, in 2016, and it was 15 million, so we doubled. And we just announced this morning that there was going to be another 30 million that was going to be invested in the next generation of founders, and we're, we're planning to build another uh, 20 technology companies with, uh, with that money. That's amazing. Congratulations. You've yeah. doubled two times now. Two times. <laughs> um, and the value, I think what's important to understand is those companies are growing years after years. And today, they're valued together at more than $500 million, and they raised more than $150 million in third-party financings. Okay. So there is a, a, there's a big success associated with the comp companies that are created to the Tenem Launch model. Yeah, definitely. And 
let's say you're you find research at McGill University. Yeah. Do you then take the researchers behind that project and bring them in as CTOs? Or it depends. Do you find, okay. So sometimes we're going to use uh, the student is going to become the technology lead, but sometimes today LinkedIn is is very powerful, and we have a team of uh, recruiters, well, technical recruiters, wow, okay. and 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 yeah, and and technical uh, uh, founders actually, well, technical recruiters and PhDs that are actively searching for uh, people that are looking to build a technology company, but not necessarily are not the inventor. So we have uh, people that are the, the students and we have people that are not the students. So you're actually better than, than Tinder for startups because you're handpicking them, you know, based on whatever tra- traits you're looking for that would make the best company. Exactly. And we believe this is actually one of the ingredients of the success. It's because we put the best people on the tech side, with the best people on the business side, there's a there are tests that are being run uh, to, to be part of Tandem Launch. We put the best technologies. We can also we I say we're in contact with 600 universities, but it goes it it's from Stanford, it's from MIT, it's from McGill, it's from Europe, it's from around the world. So we can match different IP from different universities. So we have a very strong portfolio of patents. So we believe we have protectable IP. Great team, and at the end, the CEO that comes in already have a, a, a serial a, a success. Right. So he has built a business in the past. He has sold the business. So by putting like a, a, the, the the management another uh, team team uh, uh, player that actually it has been successful in the past. I mean, uh, I think this is how we have been able to beat a lot of the early stage statistics in Canada with the, that business model. Yeah, that's. I think like it's almost like you've de-risked everything by doing like a full vertical integration of what goes into building a great company. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying. If you want to build this, beat the statistics, you have to do something different than organic, like the way that we build organic startups. So we believe by by de-risking every single um, item, we're gonna have a better a portfolio that will better perform better than if all those startups were created organically. Um, and you personally, what do your responsibilities involve as partner and CFO? Yeah, so basically, I joined Tandem Lounge um, in early 2012. I think I was employee number four or number five. And um, since then, well, at the beginning of Tandem Lounge, so basically, I met Helgi, and I, who's the founder of Tandem Lounge. He's, he was very inspiring uh, to me, and I, I, we were still experimenting the business model, uh, so I joined a startup. So at the beginning, my role was pretty much... Um, how are we going to survive and how are we going <laughs> to define a, a, a repeatable business model. But over the years, I mean, um, my role has become a little bit more structured, but I think I can still divide it into uh, three different blocks of responsibility. So first of all, I'm a partner in Tandem Lounge Ventures to fund. So uh, basically that role is generally focused on leading, like I'm leading with Helgi, like the fundraising exercise. Um, I have a legal responsibility towards the investors. Um, I also have a governance role in the sense that I sit on the boards of some of the portfolio companies of Tandem Lounge. And I'm also responsible for investors relations because with the 30 million that we raise, there's about 40, uh, 45 different investors. So I'm, I'm also managing the relationship with all those investors. Then as a second part of my responsibilities, I'm also the CFO of Tandem Lodge. So as I told you, the teams, they are spending with us between 12 and 18 months. So And, and everybody is on the payroll of Tandem Lodge. So Tandem Lodge is structured like a company. We have 80 people all the time that are on our payroll. So I have an operational role in the sense that 
I mean, there is a marketing team, there's an HR department, there's an IT uh, department, uh, there's finance. So basically, I have a team of 10 people that are reporting to me, and I'm in charge of uh, making sure that the operations of Tandem Launch are running smoothly. And finally, I'm also an executive at Tandem Launch, so as part of this role. So we have monthly meetings, monthly strategic meetings with all the portfolio companies. I'm part of those meetings. Uh, I provide feedback. I, I make sure the milestones are met. I review the hiring plan, especially when it comes to recruiting of the CEO. I'm actually uh, in charge of leading that exercise, and it's always a lot of fun to negotiate the deal with those uh, CEOs. And I'm also helping those CEOs for the onboarding and for the fundraising exercise when they're going to have to raise that first round of financing because I've been doing I've been in early stage for so many years. I have a very good network of of, of investors. Of course, um, so so that's about it. I'm I'm, I'm very busy. <laughs> um, I do want to dig in on something you said there. You're very involved with hiring the CEOs. Yes. What are you looking for? So. Um, when I'm looking for entrepreneurs to join a Tandem Launch, we're looking for passionate, driven, smart, um, an interest for technology and science for sure. Uh, looking for co-founders, a team uh, player, and uh, somebody that has uh, that, that want to build a company with us. Basically, we're looking. We you have to look at Tandem Launch as a co-founder. So we're looking for co-founders to build the next uh, business. When it comes to the CEO, so basically I say I'm, I'm leading the hiring exercise, but it's not true. Like The truth is it's the team who's leading that exercise. They're looking for somebody that has the best profile that can lead that team and bring it to the next level. So they do it also with LinkedIn, and they've become very, very good, actually, with all those like formulas and, and, and processes that you can do um, uh, with technology and LinkedIn. So they identify potential executives from Canada. I would say half of them are from Canada, half of them are from the States. We have people from Silicon Valley that came here. We have people from from uh, Boston. And those CEOs need to have credibility. So they need to have some kind of entrepreneurial success. Did they build a business and then sell? Did they sell it? Uh, were they leading a team of 30 people and they brought it to 100 people? Maybe they didn't sell the business, but at least they were part of a, a growth uh, in a company. And they need to understand the space because uh, with Tandem Launch, we start with uh, uh, pure technology, but usually when you build a product, it actually becomes a little bit more specific to um, either sports or either ad tech or either encryption or um, AI. So we need somebody that can actually bring value and, and speed up the commercialization of the technology. The CEO will be also in charge of negotiating the commercial deals with the potential partners and partnerships and strategic partnerships. Okay. Um, before we move on, I, I want to ask about you know the the distribution geographically of Tandem Launch companies. What, what does yeah. that look like? So um, most of the R and D because we're in Quebec and there are a lot of tax credits. So uh, most of the R and D teams are going to stay uh, in Quebec okay. for for multiple reasons. We also have very good. Uh, resources and very talented engineers that are uh, in Montreal. Um, the, the, the team, though, they all move here, but they are from around the world. So we work with, I think we have like more than 65 different countries, whether they're part of Tandem Knowledge, the incubator or the management team, they come from around the world to join a startup. 
it's not true that you can build a startup remote. So we ask people to move here for multiple reasons, to build a culture, because there's so many strategic decisions that you take at the beginning that it actually goes better if uh, the, your co-founder is next to you. For, for multiple reasons, we ask those CEOs to move to, to Montreal or the, the executives or, or the, uh, the technology or the business lead, the CTOs, uh, the, the, the CPOs also. Um, Sometimes the CEOs, they will uh, travel because some of the clients are in California. So if they're located in California, they can actually uh, go back and forth. Like sometimes okay. they're in Montreal, sometimes they're over there. So I would tell you that a lot of those companies have a sales office in California, but most of the R&D will stay in Canada. And after they graduate the program, do they typically stay in Canada as well? They were trying to stay in Canada, but as I said, they, sometimes they build like sales office okay. in other countries, which would be uh, strategically closer to their clients. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, one of the other things you do is you sit on the boards of some of uh, previous tandem launch companies like Fluent AI and SportLogic. Mm -hmm. How would you describe to students what a board member does? Because it sounds super cool, but we don't really get to sit in on those meetings, so we don't know <laughs> what you're doing. Okay, so basically, I think that the first thing you need to know is board members are elected by the shareholders and they represent all the shareholders of the company. They have a fiduciary duty to act for the best of the company. Um, in general, I think that if you want to have a, a broader uh, definition of a board member, they provide oversights for the governance of the organization. But if you're a board member, you can be an observer or a director of the company. And me, actually, all of the time that I sit on boards, whether it's Fluent, Contextful, SportLogic, I'm always a director of the company. So when you're a director, you get to vote for a number of corporate decisions. And those decisions are um, for the running of the company, if uh, the company is signing a binding agreement, a significant binding agreement with a third party, um, or for example, if you want to allocate options to employees, then it's the board member that will vote for that part. The budget of uh, the company is voted by the directors of the company. And um, basically, one of the big responsibilities also <laughs> of a board member is you get to select and uh, appoint and evaluate the CEO of the business. And that's one of the main role of a board member, too. Oh, okay. Um what advice would you give to entrepreneurs when dealing with their board? So we're looking yeah. at the other side of the table in, yeah. these, in these talks. Yeah. So basically, most of the CEOs and entrepreneurs, they don't really like managing their boards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they see it as part of uh, the job description, but they feel it requires a lot of preparation, tons of reporting, and they don't really see the value they can get out of the board members. So I can tell you that, frankly, what I see is... They don't see it as a priority. They really don't. Um, but I have exceptions. I have CEOs that are investing time. And for example, I have a 15-minute call every week with one of the CEO when he gives me information about the operations of the company. And honestly, I think that it helps him to see some kind of value out of the board member because when you get to the board meeting, so what you have to understand is board meetings are usually once per quarter. So if you haven't spoken to any of the board members in between, you're going to spend three hours just repeating everything that happened in, in the company. And then there's no open conversations about strategy or okay. the next steps because everybody needs three hours just to understand what happened. So if you have like... 
uh, weekly calls like with with your board members it actually speeds up the 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 level of understanding that you need to have at the board meeting and you can uh, dramatically well you can uh, speed up like uh, you can go directly to those strategic conversations and actually get some value out of uh, of those board members so I would tell you that the advice is make it a priority build relationships and um, make sure that uh, you understand what each of those board member can bring on the except money. They can bring something else than money at the table. Right. Um, and so I want to go back to this this entrepreneur you brought up. Uh, 15 minutes a, a week, that's all it takes. Yeah. What, wh- why do you think he continues to do it? And like, is he seeing benefit from doing it? Like, is he doing better than some of the other entrepreneurs who neglect that part of their job? Well, he has a better relationship with this board yeah. because of those 15 minutes. Um, he sees it as radical transparency. Those are the words that he's using. So he's like, listen, guys, we are all a team. We're going to be transparent with each other. I'm going to tell you every week if you have any questions, any specific questions. It's also a, a a channel to have a one-on-one conversation with each of the board members. And I believe that he sees some value out of it because he continues doing it and he's been doing it for the last, for the last year or so. So uh, I think that there is uh, some, um, there is value about building those relationships with your board members and investing time and resources and energy to build those relationships. And you personally, what have you learned about how to be a great board member? Like, what do entrepreneurs look to you for? And how, how are you getting better at that? Yeah. So I think that there are several qualities that you need to be, in general, a good, a good board member. So the first one would be uh, you need to be dedicated and engaged about the business. So usually CEOs will send you the board package a few days before the meeting. I think that a good board member will review the documentation, will read it, will get to the board meeting prepared. And also you need a couple of days to digest all the new ideas that you see on the board member so you can actually bring value. Um, To me, I have a very operational background. So basically... um, they're looking for a new salesperson. I might have met somebody through my role at Tandem Lounge that I can introduce to them. Um, I have another portfolio company that's looking, let's say, for an optimizer of AI. I have a company that's developing an optimizer for AI. I can refer them a potential client. So all kind of synergies and how actually, personally, I can contribute to the success of the company. So that's, that's the first step. Uh, the second uh, quality, I think, would be integrity and honesty. So as a board member, you have to make a lot of difficult, sometimes uh, difficult uh, decisions or significant decisions for the future of the company, and you have to represent the shoulders. So I believe that the integrity and the honesty are actually like, you need to make sure that uh, you act uh, with a lot of ethics when you, when you make those uh, decisions. And the last one, because I've had bad experience uh, in the past, is how you need to believe in the business. Because some of the worst board members sometimes, I feel they just don't believe in the business. <laughs> so I think that if you want to be a good board member, you need to have the passion, you need to believe in the tech, you need to believe in the team. Because one day or another, you're going to have to promote the business, whether it's through a hiring process, whether it's through uh, an intro to a potential investors, you have to believe that this is the best like this is a very promising company and i believe that to be a good board member you actually need to have this passion and 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 this desire to to build a successful company with the co-founders um no okay actually i want to talk about that 
why would aren't they shooting themselves in the foot assuming they have some kind of vested interest in in this company if they're they act like they're not passionate about it aren't they losing themselves they're losing right well, I mean, at the beginning, they're passionate. And then the plan in startups, it's very rare than plan A works. Okay. So usually it go, you have to go to plan B, plan C, and sometimes plan D. So they start and they're very excited. And the CEOs are very good at building the hype and everybody wrote the checks and the, they just raised a large round of financing. And then the first board meeting happens. And I mean, the numbers are not as promising uh. as we thought they were, or like the team is not delivering, which is to me is is business as usual because i live in the in the world of budget that are not met but I, <laughs> for other investors it's news and then with time i mean the ceo sometimes they will listen to their advice but sometimes the ceo does not it's part of entrepreneurship i mean they don't always listen to what you're telling them to do so with time i i, I believe that sometimes some of the investors around the table don't have as much faith in the business as as they should and 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 that's the part that um I think that uh, you have to sit down with the CEO and try to understand his point of view to make sure that uh, you guys, everybody's aligned, you know? Have you ever uh, used the phrase, I told you so, or something like that? Like, I don't know. you. I yeah. want to use the phrase, <laughs> I told you <laughs> But I, um, so if there's one thing you learn by working with entrepreneurs, whether they are 25 years old, whether they are in their 40s or more senior, whether they are angel investors, because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs that are angel investors and then invest in the fund, is um, I've learned how to be humble and how to uh, like how to shut up, basically. So basically, I've learned that even though I'm right, I'm never going to say it. And I'll, it always has to be their ideas at the end. So you're just happy if the end result works and mm -hmm. you're part of the successful team. But ego doesn't pay in, in that kind of business. So you just have to let it go and, and, and work as a, as, a, as a great team member. And remember that it's a very difficult job that they have to do. So you have to give them credit for any success that happens. Okay. Now... Tandem Launch focuses on deep tech. Can you describe what deep tech is and give us a few examples? So basically, um, there is a difference between a technology company and a deep technology company. With a deep technology, it means that there is intellectual property. There is patented technologies that are used to solve a very difficult technological problem. And that part is extremely important. There are years of scientific research that are associated with the tech. And Tandem Knowledge is a building full of PhDs. I mean, you need to be a specialist in that technology to be able to develop it. Um, for example... So I'm going to give you a concrete example of what a deep technology is and, and, and through the, the business model of Tandem Launch. So um, we worked with McGill, actually, um, and it's a business that worked with uh, one of the um, uh, a professor that's called uh, Skopek, and he is a professor and material professor in nanotechnology at McGill. And he devoted, uh, him and his students devoted a lot of time uh, to develop a graphene membrane to uh, put in a speaker or in a microphone that could improve the, the sound quality. And um, one of the inventors actually was studying at McGill in music. And his name is uh, Robert Caskell, uh, and he joined the Entrepreneur in Residence pro program of Tandem Launch. That's actually a little bit of a different, like, uh, uh, it's a different process than we usually uh, have because the inventor actually joined Tandem Launch. Right. And that technology... It was years of research before they could actually use that material and put it in the microphone. And then when we decided to invest in that business with Robert as a co-founder, um, 
Tana Blanche or Robert, his name is Eric Robert, so sometimes it's Eric, sometimes it's Robert. So Tana Blanche invested up to uh, 800000 into that business, and they were able to do a Kickstarter. They were able to sell $1.5 million of headphones, uh, graphene headphones, and, and now they raised a graduation uh, round. They have a CEO, but that technology fundamentally was uh, developed at, uh, by the lab at McGill. Um, so you said that you, you guys took on this guy even though that's not the traditional tandem launch way. Can you, do you remember why you did that? Like what was different about him? Well, we would like to have the inventor all oh, okay. the time that is spiders just because sometimes they're not available. Sometimes they don't have. So you, to be a co-founder, you can be a very good inventor, but not necessarily a good co-founder. You need to be able to articulate a vision. You need to have some kind of a business sense. You need to accept that you're going to be part of a team. I mean, it's a very different uh, environment than the academic world. Sometimes they're professors. They want to become professors. So we were more than thrilled when Eric said, hey, I want to join the, the, the tenement program and on top of it i'm an inventor into that technology for mcgill uh, which became eventually at uh, the startup aura okay and you personally what are some of your uh favorite companies from your portfolio right now so um i think that i really like sport logic so um i'm sure you've heard about sport logic so sport logic they use computer vision to uh, offer advanced sports analytics using one camera. So basically, uh, Craig Bunton, who was a finalist actually at the uh, Dobson Cup, I think he arrived the third, and that's how he met Helgi Seedsen, the founder of the oh, company. Oh, okay. Yes, because uh, Helgi was also a judge at the Dobson Cup. Uh, he joined, I think, Tenem Launch in 2013. Um, they developed this uh, product for hockey, actually, to... to uh, the computer vision product. Uh, they graduated in 2015 and they had a, an investment from several angels, Tim Turkaski, that's also involved uh, with uh, the Dobson Cup and Mark Cuban, uh, who's also very famous. And uh, today they raised more than 28 million of third-party financing with several strategics. It's 100 uh, employees. They have 100 employees. And their product is not only used by teams of the NHL, they have a partnership with the, with the league. Uh, they're working with broadcasters, and now they're expanding their product to different sports. So they're going into soccer and into football. I mean, it's a great success, an awesome team. And the technology also is right on spot. And in in, like these, these days, I mean, AI is huge, right? Yeah. And we invested in that technology way before, way before yeah, the hype. Yeah, this is way before the hype. Wow. The, the hype happened. So it was a great call from... Uh, for, for, from a tech point of view, from a team point of view, and uh, all the investors, so everything everything worked well. So uh, they're doing great, and I'm very proud of 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 working with those people. They're also uh, also very very easy to work with, which also helps <laughs> for uh, uh, liking uh, uh, the company. Um, so from the 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 standpoint of of a coach or one of the athletes, what is the benefit? that sport logic brings could you explain that so basically it's it's not intuitive but when you watch a hockey game these days all the statistics that you see are done manually so you basically have people sitting in the stadium that are like clicking like this is a pass like this is a shot like there's a there's a goal and all this stuff so what sports logic can do is to automate all those statistics because it can recognize what the players are doing based on the image of the broadcasters so you only need one camera you can look at all the the, the images and then you can have live statistics and they're also using into, uh, artificial intelligence so it's it can even give like uh, statistics that you could not get manually how much time was the 
puck on the other side of uh, of of the line or whatever. Like okay. there are different statistics that can be provided by sport logic that you cannot do if you were a simple like if if it's a human being who's just calling like a, a the. The, the events so um the way they're using it is that they're providing data to the team so it becomes i don't know if you saw the movie the money ball yes absolutely so they're like the money ball but for hockey teams so they're they're, they're looking with i think 90 of the teams of the nhl and they're expanding their product to other teams uh, in the, in soccer which is a huge market internationally and in football Okay, so teams can, for example, use some of this information to like recruit players. They can use it to analyze their opponents, yeah. their own game. Okay. Yeah, they can analyze their game. They can prepare for the next game. They can recruit uh, talents. They have access to a full uh, data of uh, a lot of information that can help them make the best decision and train their players to win the next game. Wow, it's like a, it's like a secret weapon for for teams that want an advantage. Exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> What advice would you give to founders on communicating their vision to you and to build a strong application for Tandem Launch? Because in the application form, it says, one of the questions is, why do you want to build a company and become an entrepreneur? Yeah. So basically, um, we're looking for passion. We're, we're looking for an interest in technology also. So um, if you're on the technical side, Obviously, you need to be strong technically. If you're on the business side, you need to at least try to understand or have an interest to understand the science behind the technology. Uh, we're looking for team players and people that can articulate a vision. So the communication skills is actually very important, especially in a startup where you're going to have to communicate your vision to You're going to have to recruit other employees. You're going to have to recruit a CEO. You're going to have to raise money, talk to investors. You're going to have to sell your product. So those are basically the attributes that we're looking for. Um, and um, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you personally, like, you're, you're in this uh, space that's, like, full of ideas and you're surrounded by all these smart people. And... You know, you had an accountant background, which is not super technical. So you've obviously been learning a lot about tech and stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you continue to learn and educate yourself? Well, first of all, I love learning. So um, I'm curious by nature. Um, because of my role at Tandem Knowledge, I attend, I attend a lot of meetings, as you said, that are full of PhDs. And I really enjoy them. Honestly, I admire the way they talk about the technology, how smart and articulated they are. Uh, when they talk about uh, their inventions or the way they were solving those difficult problems. And I love learning from them. Um, I'm also uh, a person that I'm, I'm easy to talk to and I love like talking to different kind of people. So I also have a lot of investors that are serial successful entrepreneurs that would call me um, pretty often, <laughs> like multiple times per week. And I can talk to them about technology, about tandem launch, about portfolio companies, about strategy, about fundraising. I mean, I can talk about this stuff for hours, to tell you the truth. And it's also a great learning experience for me. So I learn at the same time that I discuss those topics with those uh, uh, veteran, like those successful like entrepreneurs. So that's also another way that I have of, of, of learning. Also, I read a lot, like most of people in my space. Um, so today, the news, they come with the social media. Yeah. So you have the news about... Uh, That's it, the information like uh, about what's happening around the world. And then you have the news about what's happening in the ecosystem, the startup ecosystem. So I read most of their, those articles just to, to be aware of 
what are the new trends, what are the new startups that are raising money, what are the new funds that are out there, and uh, how can I build a relationship with the Uh, the next uh, generation of founders of the next generation of, of investors. So that's basically a part of my job. And that's something that I actually very enjoy. And I do believe that in entrepreneurship, you need to be curious or else, I mean, it's, it's, it's a business that you will have to learn new skills or new information every day to perform. What about management skills? What have you found to be the best um, activities to develop management skills? Yeah. So, um, Management skills, I think I've learned through my mistakes. I mean, I'm not a big fan, and that's a personal choice. of. Uh, so I've read in the past those Harvard Business Schools, like management, like case, and uh, had to study them at school or um, through uh, in, in big companies also. They make you read all those articles. I find that it affects the creativity. So basically me, I go with the feeling. So basically I think that when I have a particular situation, I have a lot of compassion. I can put myself in the in the shoes of the other person. And if I read too much about how to act in that situation, it will affect the way I would do it naturally. And sometimes the natural way of doing it is the best way. So that's how I learned to uh, manage different kind of personalities. I mean, when you work at Tandem Lounge, you have different kind of personalities. I mean, entrepreneurs are all passionate people. There's a lot of emotional people here. Uh, everybody is a dreamer. I mean, everybody who joins Tandem Launch, whether they're technologists, entrepreneurs, or investors, they dream. So uh, you learn with the years to um, understand and embrace <laughs> the way you can uh, communicate. Communication also, I think, is key. Communicate with them and, um, and discuss um, what are the next steps. Great. Uh, thank you so much. How can people find out more about Tandem Launch if they want to get involved? So we have a website. So tanemlaunch.com and you can email me personally. I'm on LinkedIn. I, there's also my personal email. You can email Helgi and there's also a, an application form on the website. So if you want to join the program, feel free. And when's the next uh, cohort or how does that work? So you can apply at any time and I think they have specific dates, but honestly, it's a continuous process. So whenever we find somebody that has an outstanding profile, we'll meet that person and then we'll, we'll explain to them what the program is and they can meet, the, the, they can join the, the program. It's every other month or something. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Hey, it's Mo. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you want easier access to upcoming episodes of Made at McGill, I recommend you subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you use. Also, do you have a wantrepreneur in your life? Maybe your Uncle Bill, who's always talking about his grand business ideas. Consider this. Find one episode in this podcast that you think could give them a slight push. The little nudge that they need to begin their journey as a maker. And have them listen to that episode. And if Uncle Bill ends up turning into the next Bill Gates, who changes the world and along the way becomes a genius billionaire philanthropist, hey, you can take all the credit. Thanks for listening.